Hello, I'm Ben Shaw, and you're listening to Out the Gate, the podcast about sailing and adventure on and around San Francisco Bay. If you picked up the May or June issue of Latitude 38, you may have read about today's guests, Mary Gidley and her son, Memo. They're featured in a three-part series in the sightings section of the magazine. I got to know Mary, an amazingly active 82-year-old, through my volunteer work with the Sausalito Community Boating Center at Cass Gidley Marina, an exciting project that's soon breaking ground right by Dumphy's Park in Sausalito. Mary and her late husband, Cass, opened Cass Marina, the very first boat rental business on San Francisco Bay back in 1961. They started with one boat and built the business to over 20 small boats. But in addition to that business, Mary and Cass had a lot of adventures on the water, sailing down to Mexico multiple times, well before there was any Baja rally. One of Mary's more outrageous ocean adventures was drifting for 101 days across the Atlantic from the Canaries to Mexico on a raft with 11 other people. Now, this story was recently captured in a documentary called Raft that just opened in the Bay Area. Mary is in the movie, both the original footage and they did a lot of reenactment for the film. I haven't seen it yet, but I'm anxious to. Mary's son, Memo, is a professional race car driver. He's also a charter captain. So I sat down with Mary and Memo on Memo's boat, Basic Instinct, and we had a great conversation. Enjoy. We're going to start, and I'm just going to have you each introduce yourself. Um, we'll start with you, Mary. Okay. Hi. I'm Mary uh, Gidley, and uh, I'm uh, like 82 years old. <laughs> I guess that's an important fact. Um, I've spent quite a bit of time on the water. Uh, I have uh, three kids, and uh, they're all grown up, but then we have Mamo, who has a boat, and... Uh, we're back into racing and sailing and chartering. I live in San Rafael. I play tennis. Oh, yeah, that's a big addiction. I'm coaching and also teaching tennis and playing tennis. And I'm writing. I just finished writing my memoirs. Uh, they should be on Amazon very soon. Yeah, I'm, you know, enjoying doing all my things right now. So That's great. And... You mentioned Memo, who is, whose boat we are sitting on right now. Right, yes, Basic Instinct, yes, yes. Memo Gidley, Mary's son, uh, Cass's son, my dad, and uh, um, yeah, just a longtime barrier resident, although born in Mexico, but raised here on the waterfront uh, as an anchor out, essentially, back and forth between my mom and my dad, who's down here, and then currently live in Tiburon with my wife, and um, uh, just a local resident. Your family has a great tie to this area. Mary, talk a little bit about when you first arrived in Sausalito and how you got into boating here in Sausalito. I came from Eureka. I actually was working on a, a daily newspaper in Eureka. And uh, one night I went down to 2nd Street, which has a lot of wild nightlife. And uh, my friend and I uh, just happened to meet two guys, and one of them was Cass. And 
a few years later, I was down in Sausalito working on his fish dock. We bought, or he owned a fish dock. We uh, bought and salmon and tuna, and uh, we had a fish market. And uh, so we kind of, that's my first experience sailing. However, you know, I was raised on lakes in Wisconsin. Uh, but then we sailed and uh, we had the fish business going and then uh, got uh, a little bit sticky with the new person that we had to lease the dock from. So we started the sailboat rental business and sailing school right next to the Knapp Street Pier on the south side of it. Just a boat or so and then we built that to like 20 some boats. 20 some boats. Mm -hmm. As my understanding is this this was the very f first sailboat rental on the bay, is that true? Yes, uh -huh. we figured that uh, not only was it the first one, it was a place where people could go and it would be affordable for them to rent a boat. Um, you know, we didn't, we, we were very popular because we were the only ones, you know, so I remember we used to uh, just ask people for a hundred dollar bill for deposit and then the, basically if they could rig the boat a little bit we, you know we figured that they knew how to sail so we just send them out did you have people who got out there and you had to rescue or didn't know what they were doing or oh for sure they were small boats you know like 20 feet were well, most of them were 20 footers and uh people would get too far away and then the tide and the wind and they wouldn't be able to get back so we'd have to tow them back uh, it happened now and then, but not <laughs> nobody nobody drowned or you know we didn't really have any serious accidents. Uh, the Coast Guard would sometimes tow the boats, and that uh, was one thing Cass never wanted them to touch a boat because he said that they were just a bunch of farm boys from Nebraska, <laughs> and they just you know put it on a cleat and then go full bore and whatever. So it was like don't let the Coast Guard touch you. <laughs> Now, you said you had about 20 boats. That's a big fleet to keep up. How did that, were they all kinds of different boats or were they pretty standard? What was that? Well, basically we had uh, O'Day boats. They were the Mariners or the Rhodes 19. And because they were fiberglass, they weren't uh, that much upkeep. Um, you know, we had people helping us. You know, we had employees and because uh, we went away in the winter. Usually we went sailing down to Mexico. What year is this that you opened that, that sailing business? I think it was like 1961. <laughs> uh, and then we sold it, actually, when it was really doing well. We sold it in like 1968, bought the 54-foot uh, cutter, the Yo-Ho-Ho, and moved aboard that boat and then uh, took off for Mexico. Memo, you mentioned that you were... Born in Mexico, is there a connection there between the Yo-Ho-Ho? -ho yeah, absolutely. I mean, I was, you know, my sisters who are older than me, they were they were sailing with my parents back and forth uh, on the 28-foot friendship sloop Tia Mia. So a uh, much smaller boat than we're on right now, much smaller. <laughs> and, um, you know, so by the time I came along, we had a 54-foot or 62-foot Alden uh, cutter, 1930, you know, nice wooden boat, a lot of space. Um, so yeah, much different experience. I, I had it easy. It's always, if you're the last child, you get things easier as it goes, right? So. <laughs> yeah. The Yo-Ho-Ho was the Alden Cutter. Tell me a little bit about that boat. Well, it had a fireplace in it. <laughs> it was really pretty cool. It had, uh, just beautiful wood in it. And, uh, it was a great sailing boat. It won the Transpac one year 
it was comfortable to live aboard. You know, we had uh, three kids and an Airedale, and you know, there were a lot of us aboard, and uh, it was, you know, I was uh, enjoying the fact that he didn't have a lot of uh, house to clean. Where did you take that boat? You went. You said Mexico, but tell us a little bit more about the adventure on that boat. We actually took the Tia Mia up the Sea of Cortez and did some cruising there a couple different years. And then we left that boat down in Mexico and came back and worked in the business and fish business and in the charter business, the sailboat rental. Then we would go back. And when we had the, the Yo-Ho-Ho, there was a charter that went down because that was when I was pregnant with Mamo. Uh, so that was like 1968, from 1969. And so the charter came down to La Paz, and then we stayed on the boat down in La Paz for a while. Then it gets really hot down there. <laughs> Plus, uh, so we brought the boat up to San Diego, and then I lived on the boat. Well, Cass was back and forth, but I lived on the boat with the kids in San Diego. We were anchored out. San Diego was a great place to be. <laughs> I tell you, it's a great winter. You know, we had a good we had a good time. We didn't have a lot of money. I know I didn't have a car, so we would take the bus wherever we wanted to go. Talk about some of the challenges cruising back then. Well, actually, our biggest uh, one of the biggest worries was uh, being run over by a, a freighter or you know tanker or something. Uh, so we were very conscious of how the, you know, to watch for the boats at night, especially. At that point, we didn't have anything except, uh, you know, like point to point, we went nav navigation. I mean, we had a depth finder, that was about it. So, um, <laughs> I don't know, we just, we didn't, we didn't have all that kind of stuff, you know, so you don't miss it when you don't know that, you know. Memo, tell me a little bit about your memories as a kid. Well, we, I just, you know, my childhood was basically back up here in the Bay, and uh, my sisters were more aware of sailing back and forth to Mexico as young kids, and for me, you know, once I was a year and a half, I was back up here, but uh, I just remember, you know, being on the Yo-Ho-Ho and, you know, the the, uh, the gatherings, the sails, the, you know, the sails we went on with lots of people, and, um, you know, the gatherings after, and just uh, the whole community, you know, the waterfront community, and just... Uh, um, you know, just being part of, of that, you know, but, um, yeah, it was definitely, you know, when you're a kid, you're like, uh, this is this, this, you know, some of it, you're like sailing is no fun, you know? <laughs> right. I just want to get away from what mom and dad are doing. Yeah. It's like, uh, I wish I could just, you know, turn on the TV. Well, you know, we had to fill up our lamps with kerosene and, and, you know, <laughs> go in and get water and fill up our tanks and, you know, so, yeah. um, but you learn to appreciate it later for sure. But still, there was like a lot of excitement and a lot of fun. I mean, I remember, you know, Fourth of July's and literally as a kid thinking that the that the fireworks that were literally landing on the boat in shock, terrified, but also just super excited to be part of that. A lot of sailing experiences, a lot of fun, excitement, that sort of thing. A lot of hard work, too, but a lot of sailing experiences. Well, something about it stuck because now you're running your own charter business sailing. Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, no, it's it definitely, you know, like uh, my primary career was uh, I got into racing cars. And so it was very unusual because, uh, you know, to get into cars usually requires money or a famous name. And being an anchor out, um, you know, we didn't have any money and I definitely didn't have a famous name amongst, you know, uh, wealthy people. 
Um, so uh, it was just sort of unique. So um, I went after racing cars, and so that I really wasn't around sailing for like uh, teenage years up till I was about thirty. And uh, but then once you get it in your in your blood, you know, it's just it's something that's very you know attractive. You just really want to be part of it. And so once I sort of got back home and wasn't traveling quite as much, then I picked up a small little harpoon uh, 4.7, 5.3 Boston Whaler, a little sailboat dinghy, and uh, went out and had a blast with that. And then got a NACRA catamaran and had an amazing time with that. And then a friend of mine bought a Anza 47-foot, you know, big monohull. We had a blast with that. And then uh, next thing you know, here I am with Basic Instinct. I just had to get a boat and get back on the water. And Basic Instinct is what boat? It's a great boat. It's, uh, you know, was uh, brought over here from New Zealand in um, in 1996 by Jan Borgeson, who's over at the Corinthian Yacht Club. It's a New Zealand design, Greg Elliott, a New Zealand built boat. So it's a great boat. Talk to me a little bit about the transition from racing cars to sailing. Obviously, there's a little bit of difference in the speed that you're going, but are there similarities or was that a difficult transition? Yeah, there's just a little difference in speed. I mean, like in indie cars, you know, the fastest speed we'd go is 250 miles an hour. So we don't quite get that on uh, basic instinct. <laughs> uh, but like I always tell people, it's like, uh, you know, in cars, you're looking for tenths of a second, like tenths of a second around a minute and a half track is oh, the world of different. Tenth of a second is nothing. Uh, in sailboats, you're looking for tenths of a knot. You know, like small, minute, small, uh, you know, speed gains so that you can be over the course of a three-hour race. You can be well ahead of whoever you're racing against. That's interesting. So it's about tweaking for speed, no matter if that speed is 200 miles an hour or 10 knots. Yeah, absolutely. And it's very mechanical. You know, cars are not only mechanically, there's just an unlimited amount of adjustments you can make to get the balance right. You know, to make the drag less, to make just the balance better, just the grip that you have. And also aerodynamically, you know, the wings, um, you know, just the arrow of the car is very important. Sailboats, it's pretty close to the same. I mean, we're mechanically adjusting things like sails and trim and positions, weight, this, that, whatever, conditions, um, you know, to basically find those small amounts of time. And a lot of people ask me, they say, oh, do you get the, you know, is it just as exciting? You know, how do you feel? And honestly, after like, we just did the Farallons race, and after six hours, you know, three hours, you know, going hard to the weather, going out to the Farallons and just balancing the boat on the edge, and then, you know, a couple hours back, I mean, by the end of that race, you're, like, mentally pretty exhausted. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, they're very similar. Wow. We just heard Memo talking about growing up sailing, but Mary, you said you didn't know from sailing, really, before you met Cass. Was it his idea to jump on a boat, take the family off sailing? Tell me about that genesis. We had the, the Tiamia before we decided to go to Mexico. We had it and sailed around here. But, you know, then because we had a slack season in the fish buying business and also in the sailboat rental, it was like Cass had a friend who had a boat who kept his boat in La Paz, and he kept talking about how great it was down there. And Cass had also fished a little bit in Mexican waters. So uh, anyway, seemed like the right, I mean, where else are you going to go? <laughs> so uh, so we started off. And at the, the first time we left, uh, my oldest daughter was like a year and a half. And we had a three-month-old uh, Airedale puppy with us. Um, now, so, did Cass know how to sail, or were you figuring this oh, all? No, he, he, he had sailed. He had actually lived in, uh, it was called Giant, over by, uh, you know, it's over in Richmond. 
and uh, he had built boats himself, and I don't know, he talks about an Indian who built a canoe for him. He had a lot of stories about things that he did on boats, and he rescued somebody. He and his sister rescued somebody when they went, they were out on a boat, and they dragged somebody ashore. I don't know. So he, and he had done some racing also, but um, he had uh, started fishing, commercial fishing, um, and so he had a fish boat, and that's when I met him. He was fishing. The sailboat came after we started the fish, uh, fish buying business. So, but he, you know, he had a lot of experience, and I had actually a lot of water experience because I lived next to a lake in Madison, Wisconsin. We had canoes and rowboats, and my father had a little outboard, little fishing boat. So, and we lived in the water in the summer. We just never got out of it. So it was, you know, the water was a thing. And when I got out to the, here, if to Eureka first, it was like, oh, how exciting, you know, to go down by the waterfront and where all the fish boats were and all the exciting smells and, uh, you know, rough, tough people. Because uh, I wasn't raised that way, but that's what I was looking for. I guess it was partly my idea, let's go. <laughs> Now, you've been on a number of different types of boat, and actually one boat you were on um, was more a psychological experiment than anything else. Tell us about your experience that was documented in this new movie called The Raft, in which you and I don't know how many other people floated across the Atlantic Ocean on a raft. Right. I had just taken a navigation class, uh, course from Bruce Martins, who was here in Sausalito, and uh, that's how they found me, because they were looking at that time. Now, who's they? Oh, Santiago. Uh, Santiago Genovez was the leader, uh, the organizer of the expedition. He was a Mexican anthropologist, but anyway, he found me through a friend who found the navigation instructor who knew where I was. And there were 10 other people aboard, and um, Maria from Sweden was the captain. Uh, we had uh, um, a guy from England who was the cook. Uh, the medic, the doctor, was from Israel. That was a woman. So one of the ideas was that the women would be in the power positions and the men would just be cleaning up after us. So uh, <laughs> it didn't quite work out because Santiago himself was very, very macho. It never worked out. But, was Santiago aboard? Oh, yeah. Santiago was both the leader of the expedition and a participant, as he said. But he was trying to do two things at once, and it didn't work out. I mean, it got, well, if you see the movie, you'll see. It kind of, like, feels that everybody's against him, which some of us were. And, uh, you know, it wasn't really, uh, well, we didn't really think of pushing. At least I didn't think of pushing them overboard, but there were other people who did. Was the experience a positive one for you in the end? Oh, it was fun. I mean, it was good. To, you know, anytime you get away, you get clear of everything that's happening in your life. The stress is a lot less. You know, we're just uh, basically day after day doing pretty much the same thing. You know, there was some conflict and stuff like that. But, uh, you know, it's it's just really nice to be out in the the ocean and not see any buildings or see any people running around just have the stars and the sun and the, the moon and and when you say get away you had three relatively young children at the time right uh yes i did um Mamo was the youngest he was like three and a half and then lupe was seven and sharon was like about 11 
I can think of a lot of mothers who would say, uh, yes, please raise their hands. <laughs> I'd like a ticket away for, for my kids for how long, for a little while. How long were you uh, drifting across the Atlantic? Well, the whole thing took about five months, but it was, we were drifting for 101 days. And then we, we ended up in Cozumel in Mexico. And then they did a debriefing with us. We were uh, sequestered into a motel room and, you know, a lot of shit came out <laughs> about Santiago. Ooh. Uh, but anyway, then, then there was a thing. We were in Mexico City and there was a an earthquake and we were in the like 13th floor of this hotel or something. <laughs> this whole thing started shaking. Wow, so the adventure continued after <laughs> yeah, the uh, yeah. after the wrap. That was it. So we didn't get, that's what took a lot of time. And then when we got, see, when we, we first went to Spain to do all the testing, and then we were flown to the Canary Islands, and the raft uh, was, got, was, I don't know how they got the raft. They're on a freighter, I believe. Anyway, then the raft was not ready to go either, so we had a whole bunch of outfitting to do and had to get all the, you know, everything ready on the raft, which took another two or three weeks. So that's why the 101 days ended up to be more like five months. Now, you'd been to sea before. What were your impressions when you first laid eyes on this raft? Were you confident in it keeping you alive is th across the Atlantic Ocean? Well, you know, the, the raft was a little, uh, it wasn't just the top. It, you know, <laughs> it looks pretty simple, but underneath it had like a steel pontoons. And actually, there was a way if the raft should overturn, where we would crawl through these uh, the underbody thing and then pop up on the other side. Well, luckily, we never had to do that. No, the, it it seemed pretty seaworthy. I mean, it it it, it you know it wasn't fun sometimes, but it was it was okay. It was like about thirty six feet long and maybe eighteen feet wide, something like that. And no sails. You were just drifting. We did have one foresail that could sort of pointed us in the right direction, and uh, but that was it. You know, and we got tossed around a little bit in the tail end of a hurricane. Um, in fact, we got turned around totally backwards. We had the, also these long oars, and so we kind of like turned ourselves around with the oars. Did your navigation, new navigation skills come in handy? Oh, yes. Both Marie and I, we, you know, helped each other doing the navigation as far as like the sunsets and, the, you know, sights and the, the, the stars. Yeah. It was interesting to do that, yeah. It was great. Do you think that the film portrayed the experience pretty accurately? Well, you know, it's basically a, a Santiago's kind of experience. Of, I mean, he's like the main character in the film. There's so much. We well, There was so much, you know, like we had tons of footage from the original raft trip, uh, some of which I took, like, a lot of Super 8 film. Um, and... Uh, you know, there's just so many stories because everybody had a different story. And when we were on the raft, we also, uh, we answered questionnaires. We had meetings. We had, you know, this was in the early 70s. It was very uh, hot to have encounter groups and games of truth and stuff like that. So we did that. We drew pictures of trees and, you know, I guess that was supposed to analyze something. Yeah, we did handwriting. We had a handwriting person who, uh, like, analyzed what we, from our handwriting. And, I mean, there was some kind of kooky 
uh, I would say, kooky science involved in this. Uh, but Santiago was, you know, he was he had gone on two rafts beforehand. He had gone well. Uh, he had gone on the raw one and raw two with Thor Heyerdahl. Uh -huh. You know, that's where he got the idea of sort of he called it a floating laboratory, but his was not to see if we could make it. His was more to see whether people would crack up under the stress, I guess, or whatever that would happen, you know. And he was also made sure that people who came were like leaving either their spouse or their fiance. Or their children. Or their children <laughs> back here, uh, you know. So, and that was stressful. Um, so he also, they had, we had a, a sort of a cabin, but it was not designed to give us any headroom. We had to crawl into it. We uh, basically slept on the floor of it, just on the, you know, the wood floor. In this day and age, that would be called a reality television show. Uh, that's what people say. It's just, you know, it was a, he was way ahead of his times. <laughs> it's too bad, you know, because it was. What was the experience like getting back together with the people from the raft to make the film? Well, actually, I didn't recognize some of them. <laughs> there was this one woman. Well, I was sick for the first week when we got to Sweden. I, the plane was just too much for me. I'd rather drift <laughs> take that 14-hour flight. But uh, anyway, there was one woman who was like, I was really liked her on the raft. You know, I hadn't seen her for 40-some years, though. And, uh, she, you know, she, she couldn't get over the fact that I couldn't recognize her. But, um, you know, some of the people, they're basically the personalities don't change that much, you know. Uh, Maria, the captain, she was, you know, retired, but, uh, you know, still doing her thing. And, uh, yeah, it was, and, well, the men, you know, we didn't get, there was only the Japanese photographer who uh, came to the uh, filming of the raft. Memo, are these the stories that you grew up on? Do you remember hearing about this as a kid? Yeah, I definitely remember hearing some of these stories. And then the other thing is my mom, she's always been a you know picture film type person. So there was all these Super 8 movies in the closet. And so we always had the Super 8 projector. So when I was bored, I would pull out some movies and put it on this little projector and see what I saw. And I definitely remember seeing some raft footage. And I definitely remember like a lot of people walking around naked and not quite. Oh, really? I just, I remember I re that. <laughs> well, I remember seeing like not a lot of clothes. And I'm like, what are they, you know, I was only like six or seven years old, maybe, or eight years old. But, you know, what are they doing? But yeah, no, it's hearing more about the raft now, which is really interesting, but always heard about just something crazy that my mom did, you know, back then. I mean, I was left with a friend of hers, and when she came back to come and get me, I ran and hid because I didn't know who she was. <laughs> yeah, so. I guess, I guess. Uh, right. Well, I had already left my kids. In fact, I left Mamo before her when he was two and a half years old. I was, a bad, I a, I was I, a bad kid, though, yeah, so no, she was probably I, just I happy to, to get away from me at that point. I had to lie about his age to get him in this uh, uh, daycare center, you know, so I, I changed his birthday by about three months so that he would qualify, but... Because we actually delivered boat from Miami through the Panama Canal and up to Seattle and then another boat to San Francisco through the Panama Canal. So, but I, I took the other two kids on one of those, you know, deliveries, but Mamo, the woman did not want him aboard the boat. 
<laughs> well, this is this is making me feel a little better because my wife and I just left our kids for ten days to go sailing, and uh, it was the first time we left the kids alone, and she was feeling very bad about this. <laughs> Put it in perspective for me. Yeah, right. right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, somebody told me that I my I have such good kids because I was such a bad mother. So I was like, <laughs> that's good. I've never heard that one oh, before. But that's great. Mimi, Mimi said that. I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they were pretty self-reliant, you know, like, I never, you know, dressed them, or I did help feed them, but, uh, you know, they wore what they wanted to wear. <laughs> well, that's kind of like being on the water, too. I mean, it's almost like, I mean, I don't know, I mean, you, I think it's, I don't have much farm life experience, but you definitely learn how to do stuff, you know, yourself when you're out in these sort of environments, right? Yeah, that's for sure. So. It's good. Yeah, that, that must have been part of the life when you were growing up, Memo, and, and aboard the boat, with that aspect of self-reliance, and even more so when there were fewer boats there to help you in Mexico or elsewhere. Oh, right, yes. There were only like about, uh, in La Paz, there was like about 10 boats anchored out. You know, there was no marina. So, uh, you know, and coming down the coast, you know, you were just, uh, you know, people would stare at my, especially my oldest daughter was totally blonde, blonde, blonde. They just couldn't believe her. <laughs> they would take her away from me. But, uh, yeah, we were, you know, it was kind of, it was really uh, kind of like a different, almost like a different planet when we went down to Mexico because we were the only boat. We never saw another boat as we were going down there, except we saw shrimp boats that were Mexican, and, and the Mexican uh, sailing canoes, you know, that were fishing. So, yeah, there wasn't, you know, the Mexicans didn't have any motors for their boats either. So. A lot of differences there. And, and tell me a little bit about the differences that you've seen on San Francisco Bay. I mean, a lot has changed since you first started living and working here. Oh, yeah, it's, you know, I mean, it's, like, so crowded. <laughs> it's, like, there's, like, you know, you look around and all the hills are covered with houses and, um, you know, the freeway. <laughs> it's, like, feels like you want to go in a boat and not come ashore. <coughs> so, uh, yeah, it's basically just feels like there's a lot more stress and a lot more, uh, you know, like, problems and traffic and different things you know it's a lot simpler life do you think the marine community the boating community the sailing community has changed a great deal or has have the values and heart of that stayed the same um that i'm not i think memo would know more about that but i um you know i will say that that's what we're trying to restore with the um Sausalito Community Boating Center is like a place where, you know, you can just come and enjoy working on a boat and sailing a boat or rowing a boat. Tell me about the, the Sausalito Community Boating Center. What is the goal of the center once it gets up and running? Well, we have had a, uh, you know, a mission all along, and it's mainly to get people out on the water who don't have a way to get out on the water. Um like with a lot of different classes and uh, small boats and sailing instruction. Uh, so it also a lot to do with the ecology of the bay, which, you know, unless you're on a small boat, you don't really experience, you know, what you, what you could. And we also intend to use uh, traditional wooden boats 
Uh, so uh, we have like a fleet right now. We have at least six, six or seven boats, but we are getting close to being hopefully opening our doors. It's a exciting project that is hopefully coming to fruition soon. But I wanted to go back to the sailing community today, which memo you are part of as a, as a charter captain. Tell us a little bit more about the business. Yeah, well, about five years ago, uh, you know, I was just really getting involved back in boats again, you know, and um, and just thought, I'm kind of, you know, you see a lot of your parents in you once you start growing up, and it's like, do I have a nine to five job where I'm in the same office all day? Mm, no, <laughs> not even close. It's like, hmm, what else can I do? You know, and so charter business, why not? I have a sailboat, you know, so decided to open up a charter business, um, which is kind of ironic because, you know, uh, you know, not to the scope of like, you know, Cassis Marina, which my mom and dad started and then Lois Counts ran for like 30 years or 35, 40, 50, years. 40 years, 40 to 50 years. I mean, like that, that establishment <laughs> taught so many people how to sail and to get out on the water. I mean, I see, see and meet people all the time. They're like, yeah, I took sailing us at Cassis Marina. And for me, that's always cool because also the signs always been there and driving up and down Cassis Marina or Cascade Marina, you know, it's kind of nice to be, have that. Now I'm, back doing it, you know, um, sailing Mamo boat charters, which is great. You know, I do know a lot of the, sort of the old history of the bay, you know, and how it was being an anchor out. And it's nice to be back out onto the bay, showing people how to enjoy the water. And even, you know, it's surprising to me how even in San Francisco, there's so many people that live here in the bay and they see the water from the land, but they mm -hmm. never see the land from the water. And it's such a different experience because, when we're out there, not only do we see things differently, we're in the water looking at the land, but we see dolphins, we see um, whales, we see pelicans, all this stuff happening that normally these people don't see, even though they're local, you know. So it's rare or any time that I've ever had a bad charter, I'd say, unless someone gets a little cold. But uh, it's, you know, it's always a great experience. Cold on San Francisco Bay? Never. Right? <laughs> how, how do people find you if they want to come sailing with you? You know, they just uh, they just Google, you know, charters in Sausalito or sailing in Sausalito or San Francisco. And, you know, I don't advertise per se, but I do just because I've been in it and have a lot of reviews, Yelp and things like that. It's sort of like... Um, organically your searches you get sort of bumped up on the search ladder word of mouth just various ways like that but it is one of a number of things I do so um, I push to get more people but I don't it's 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 not a full-time for yeah. me but yeah. I do really enjoy it I also do you know also have um, when I got my captain's license here to run the charter business also it's a hundred ton license so then I also do um, operate other people's vessels now and again too so people hire me to operate you know, and occasionally I do a boat delivery. And so it's just like this random sort of things, but it's always on the water. You know, I really love being on the water. So getting out here is great. You mentioned earlier that you have, you're finishing work on your memoir. Does it have a title? Right. In fact, <laughs> I think I blurted point to point is what we're using right now as the title. My granddaughter, one of my granddaughters is uh, kind of doing the, the layout and all that stuff. So we are basically, probably within two weeks, we'll get, get it all done, finished. That's exciting. Well, um, people can look for that on Amazon, right? Yes, uh-huh, right. Well, I want to thank you both so much for taking this time. Um, it was great chatting with you. Yeah, thanks, Ben. Great yes, chatting with thank you. thank you, Ben. <laughs> See you around. <laughs> 
be sure to pick up Latitude 38 to read more of the Ghibli story this month and next. And last month was the first in the three-part series. Also in the July issue of Latitude 38, you'll find an article about Randall Reeves that draws on the interview I did with him in episode 12. So check that out. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of Out the Gate. If you like the show, help it out by heading on over to iTunes and taking just a minute or two to leave a review. And you can always reach out to me directly at outthegatesailing at gmail.com. That's outthegatesailing, all one word, at gmail.com. I'm Ben Shaw, the host, editor, and producer of the show. Until next time.